Hello, everybody. Come on over here. It's the Northern Miner Podcast. Welcome to episode 106 of the Northern Miner podcast. I'm your host, John Cumming, the editor-in-chief of the Northern Miner, and we have a a very interesting show here today. We're going to be focused on the Plan Nord, the big infrastructure program put together by the Quebec government and supported by industry and uh, local communities in the area. This comes from a panel that we held at the Canadian Mining Symposium in London a few weeks ago. And the whole symposium is introduced by Janice Charette. She's the High Commissioner for Canada to the United Kingdom. I put this in. It's edited a little bit, uh, cut down a little bit, but uh, just to demonstrate the helpfulness of the uh, Canada House, especially towards minors. And she also speaks to the issue of the Canada-EU trade agreement and what it means with the Brexit. And then before the panel, we have Robert Sauvé. He's the CEO of the Société du Plan Nord. That's the Quebec government-owned corporation uh, that is in charge of the Plan Nord. Uh, I must admit it's a, it's a little bit dry because it's a technocrat reading a speech, but it's meaty at the same time because he talks about, you know, now the Plan Nord has a strong budget. They bought the Cetil Railway asset there that helped the iron ore mines uh, in the Labrador Trough, and there's road investments. You've got capital funds within Quebec. You've got the CGOM database, very good uh, First Nations relations. So Robert gets into all that. And then we shift into panel mode, where we have as panel members Guy Bourassa, the president and CEO of Namaska Lithium, Pascal Amelin, president and COO of Metanor Resources, and Darren Wagner, president of Balmoral Resources. So all three companies are juniors with projects in the Quebec Plan Nord zone. So we get the Quebec Plan Nord big picture from Robert, and then we have uh, sort of case studies with three juniors active in the area. This podcast is sponsored by the Grosso Group of Companies, based in Vancouver and led by entrepreneur Joe Grosso. They have three companies active mostly in uh, Argentina. Uh, Number one, uh, Golden Arrow Resources. Golden Arrow owns a 25% share of Puna Operations, Inc., a joint venture company operated by SSR Mining, an experienced precious metals miner. Puna is producing silver concentrate from its Perquitas operation and is developing the nearby Chinchillas Silver Project, which has more than eight years of forecast production and upside potential. And the other two Grosso Group companies down there are the Blue Sky Uranium, looking for uranium, and Argentina Lithium and Energy looking for lithium uh, up in the um, lithium triangle there of the northwest. You can go to grossogroup.com for more information on all three companies. Our second sponsor is the Yukon Mining Alliance. They're a group of 17 companies looking for all kinds of minerals in the Yukon Territory. And you can go to their website at yukonminingalliance.ca for more information on all the companies that are members, as well as uh, follow the alliance on Twitter at at investyukon, all one word. 
After we finished our last podcast on uh, battery minerals, there was quite a bit of news there out of the uh, lithium and uh, cobalt world. The biggest one is um, China's Tianqi Lithium Corp has struck a deal to take a $4.1 billion stake in SQM, the second largest lithium producer. Tianqi is looking to almost triple its production capacity through 2020. The way it's happening is Tianqi will buy all of Nutrien Limited's voting share in SQM, so that would give Tianqi a 24% stake. I'm just looking at a Bloomberg article here. They quote Chris Berry, a New York-based analyst on energy metals and founder of House Mountain Partners. He says this deal makes the lithium oligopoly even stronger than it already is. This affords Tianqi a unique opportunity to shape the direction of the lithium industry. So Nutrien is selling that 32% stake to meet its condition for the creation of the merger between Potash Corp of Saskatchewan and Agrium. So Nutrien still has about 20 million voting shares that it still has to sell. And of course, you can imagine this would be a big political issue in uh, Chile. A second big lithium story uh, that just came out was Australia's Kidman Resources striking a uh, supply agreement with Elon Musk's Tesla. This would be a three-year offtake deal, and it's the first between Tesla and Kidman. The terms are fixed price and take or pay and other deals are confidential. Tesla is expected to buy about 5,000 tons a year of lithium hydroxide from Kidman and has two three-year extension options. Kidman said this represented less than 25% of its portion of initial nameplate production of 44,000 tons a year for the first three years of operation of a, of a refinery. Kidman has a 50-50 joint venture with SQM. They're due to release a feasibility study on the refinery later this year. In other battery minerals news, this came from a speech by the LME Chief Executive Matthew Chamberlain. He was speaking at the annual LME Asia Week Forum in Hong Kong. The London Metal Exchange is going to begin offering contracts in metals used in batteries within 18 months. He said these new futures contracts may include lithium, graphite, and manganese, while additional contracts for the already tradable nickel, copper, cobalt, and aluminum will be explored. Other new products in the pipeline are uh, options for gold and silver. Another item, this is from Rio Tinto Chief Executive Jean-Sébastien Jacques. He uh, was speaking in Miami, and he said the outlook for global growth remains positive, but there are some significant risks. As we predicted last year, cost pressures have returned. In this environment, asset quality really matters, and operating capability is critical. Protecting margins and generating cash will be hard across the industry. And uh, he specifically talked about oil prices hitting 80 bucks uh, in Brent uh, futures. He said, a significant industry issue is resource nationalism. From the DRC and South Africa to Mongolia and Australia, it is gaining momentum. He also noted that in 2017, Rio Tinto was responsible for half of the total cash returns across the mining sector, which is pretty startling. And one more sort of quirky story carrying over from our interview with Frank Holmes two podcasts ago. This is a study out of the Netherlands by Alex de Vries, an economist and data consultant. He uh, was looking at the energy consumption of the Bitcoin mining. The cryptocurrency's energy footprint growth rate is 20% per month so far this year. And that's actually slowed a bit because of the Bitcoin uh, coming down in price. And at this rate, Bitcoin would be gobbling up 0.5% of the world's electricity by the end of this year. Again, at this rate, by late next year, Bitcoin could be consuming more electricity than all the world's solar panels currently produce, about 1.8% of global electricity. 
DeVries also noted that his estimates could be missing out on uh, secretive or legal participation in uh, Bitcoin mining. He noticed one instant where a researcher was caught diverting a National Science Foundation supercomputer to mining Bitcoin. Let's take a break and we'll return with Canada's High Commissioner to the UK, Janice Charette, and the full uh, Planor session. As Anthony said, uh, this is the second year that we are hosting the Canadian Mining Symposium here at Canada House, and I'm very pleased to have had the opportunity to participate uh, in both years, and uh, it's interesting to see just the uh, growth of interest in this event and uh, the number of people and, uh, and, the, uh, and the fact that the program is now spread over two days, uh, which I think really speaks to the success of the program. A show of hands maybe for me, if you wouldn't mind, if, uh, if you or your company are new to, uh, to this event this year over last year. Oh, that's fantastic. That's wonderful. Um, that, uh, I think that gives us uh, a lot of encouragement, as well as the organizers of this event, in terms of the appetite that there is. So I think that also speaks very much to, uh, to the quality of this event, the, uh, the organization, the quality of the speakers, the discussions, and of course the excellent work that's done by our uh, friends and colleagues and partners at uh, the Northern Miner. But I think also it speaks very much to the strength and the interest in Canadian mining and, can and Canada's mining expertise. Je pense que cela témoigne de la qualité des conférenciers, des discussions et de l'excellent travail des, de nos partenaires, les mineurs de Nord, dans l'organisation de cet événement et évidemment dans la force de notre secteur minier canadien. Um, as you all know in this room, Canada is one of the largest mining nations in the world producing more than 60 minerals and metals. Um, and we rank in the top five countries in global production of 13, uh, 13 major minerals and metals. Canada is the first in potash, second in uranium and niobium, third in nickel, gemstones, cobalt, aluminum, and platinum group metals, fourth in indium and sulfur, fifth in diamonds, titanium, and gold. And I think that what we see as a result of that really is um, Canadian mining, Canadian mining expertise being widely sought out uh, really across the globe by countries uh, right around the world. And I'm pleased in this respect that the Government of Canada has taken steps to support Canadian companies in operating responsibly abroad through uh, the appointment of a new ombudsperson and an advisory body on responsible business conduct abroad. And I'm hoping that these initiatives by the Government of Canada will continue to assist you your companies and, uh, and the Canada brand uh, in terms of, uh, of the mining expertise that we can bring to sites really around the world. We know in Canada the mining industry is one of the largest private sector employers of Indigenous persons in Canada on a proportional basis, and I think this very much speaks to, uh, to your interest in supporting the, uh, the interests of all sectors of the Canadian economy and all, sector, all parts of the population of Canada in participating to the maximum degree possible in the, in the opportunities of the mining sector. 
57% of the world's public mining companies are listed on the TSX and the TSX Venture Exchanges. And together, these two exchanges accounted for 40% of the equity capital raised globally for mining in 2016. The sector has also been working very hard, driving innovation in important areas such as carbon reduction, which is a key contribution to Canada's efforts really to meet our climate change commitments. So now that we've gotten some of the, uh, the very positive facts and figures out of the way, I want to take a moment to recognize that there are also many challenges that are faced by mining companies, especially when it comes to attracting investment capital. And we very much hope that this event is one way to help support you in addressing this challenge. And it is an, exa an excellent example of collaboration to be able for us to support and showcase the amazing resources, the projects, and the companies of Canada uh, to a room full of, hopefully, potential investors. This year, we also have representatives from uh, several provinces and territories in the room. And if you wouldn't mind, I'll ask you just to stand up and kind of wave your hand so people will know who you are. We have representatives from Quebec. I saw John Coleman out oh, and others at the, here in the room. Thank you. Uh, the Yukon at the back. There we are. Uh, Northwest Territories, again, at the back. Uh, Ontario. Oh, there's Aaron. And uh, British Columbia. Wonderful. Fantastic. Thank you all very much for joining us. Uh, I think that this uh, really speaks to a good uh, whole of Canada support uh, for this sector. Uh, the provincial and territorial representatives who have joined us today will be able to speak to the opportunities in their respective uh, jurisdictions. And I hope that the, the growth and the representation from uh, provinces and territories will continue in the future and maybe even next year we'll see a few more additions. I'm also pleased that in the interim, since we met here uh, last year, uh, that the Canada-EU uh, Comprehensive Trade Agreement, which eliminates 98% of the tariffs between Canada and the European Union, including the United Kingdom, is now provisionally in force. And so um, that provides, I think, a really great opportunity for us to continue to deepen and expand the economic relationship between Canadian companies and countries right across the European Union. And of course, that includes the United Kingdom as Canada's largest trading partner in Europe. Now, I often get asked the question, what's going to happen as a result of the uh, decision of the UK to leave the European Union and go through the Brexit process. And just as recently as last week, Prime Minister Trudeau and Prime Minister May met here in London, actually, and they renewed their mutual commitment to a seamless transition in our preferential trading arrangement so that the day after Brexit, Canadian companies and Canadian investors will enjoy the same level of preferential trading arrangements as they do today. And in fact, Prime Minister Trudeau went further than that in some of his media interviews and his comments to Prime Minister May in looking forward to the possibility of even an enhanced trade arrangement at some point in the future. And so I think that that really provides, hopefully, the stability and a degree of certainty to, uh, to those of you uh, who are looking to take advantage of the uh, advantages provided by that agreement. I think all in all, if we look at that landscape, the agenda looks pretty terrific, and I hope that as a result of this, uh, you have an excellent, productive, and successful two days of, of presentations and discussions. Lors de jours formidables, je vous souhaite à tous 
deux jours de présentation et de discussion productive et couronnée de succès. As I was coming down through the High Commission this morning, I saw many of the rooms that will be taken up with individual meetings and small presentations, and I think that really speaks to the amount of interest and hopefully uh, a great amount of business that's going to be done here in the next two days. I want to just a, sh a, sh a short shout out again to the organizers, but also to the, especially to the team here at Canada House that's been sp supporting this event. And I hope to see you all again here next year. Thank you very much. Let's begin in earnest. Our first panel I'm very excited about. It'll be the Quebec panel. It's entitled Quebec's Plan Nord, where sustainable development and mining go together. This is a great way to, to launch off. Plan Nord has been a, a great success in showing how government can support the industry in a very intelligent and very uh, surgical sort of way. And I'd like to introduce Robert Sauvé, the CEO of Société du Plan Nord, to give you a few words on what's going on with Plan Nord. And then once Robert finishes up, I'll introduce John Cumming and we'll begin the panel discussion. I'm pleased to be here today to speak with you about the uh, Northern Development Plan of the province of Quebec called the Plan R. In a nutshell, the Plan R is a vision of a strategic and integrated development of economic, mining, energy, forestry, tourism, and also social and cultural potential in the Northern and Arctic portion of the Quebec uh, province in Canada. It covers an area of around 746,000 square kilometers, five times the size of the UK, just to give you an idea of the, the territory. It's the home of, the, of 120,000 people, of whom a third is indigenous. The Planor strikes a balance between the economic, the social, and the environmental dimensions of development, aiming to become an example of a responsible and sustainable project. It is implemented in a partnership with the local and indigenous population and also with all stakeholders in the area. The plan will involve public and private investment of over 28 billion pounds by 2035. Already in less than three years, nine billion pounds has been invested or will, is planned to be invested within the next few years. So we're about a third uh, to the objectives right now. To implement the Plan R, government has set a state-owned corporation called the Société du Plan R, which I represent here today, to coordinate all government action on the territory. The Société is supported by an assembly of partners, members of which are appointed to represent local and indigenous communities from various parts of the North, as well as the main industry associated with the plan. So this is our permanent sounding board. The government has also created a dedicated fund for which most of revenue comes from the contribution generated by natural resources extraction and public infrastructure projects. The society has a budget envelope of 250 million pounds for the period 2015 to 2020 and the budget for, from coming from the whole Quebec for this territory will be around $2 billion for the next five years. Direct actions and initiatives of the Quebec state aim to create suitable conditions to support and stimulate investment 
by improving and building transportation and telecommunication infrastructure, roads, railways, port, airport, all that, to supporting private sector actions, in particular uh, the search for funding for mining companies, and promoting the use of green energy, mainly hydroelectricity. Hydro-Quebec, as a a government-owned corporation, offers the lowest rate in North America in electricity. The Quebec uh, Ministry of Energy and Natural Resources also operates a geographic information system called CGM that provides free web-based access to all geoscience data collected in Quebec over the past 150 years. It's one of the best in the world and is regularly updated by the government, mining companies and universities. Over the, over the last three years, the Quebec government has lived up to its commitment to support suitable infrastructure in order to provide access to and export natural resources. For example, the, the Quebec government has invested $120 million in acquisition of a railway and port infrastructure that uh, was owned by a private mining company, and it was a bottleneck to the access of other companies. A public-private-owned company now owns this asset and is we're planning to invest $280 million more in order to increase the site's capacity for material handling and to ensure all mining companies have a better access to this multi-user uh, infrastructure and also to the multi-user wharf of the harbor of Cécile. The harbor is, has direct access to both the Atlantic Ocean and also the industrial heart of Canada and United States through the St. Lawrence Seaway System, allowing mining companies to export their products throughout the international market. Facilitating access to the territory north of 49 parallel is one of the conditions for the success of the Plan R. Last year, both the federal and Quebec government invested $265 million for repair and upgrade of the James Bay Highway, a 500 miles long road that provides access to western, the western portion of the Planor territory and to many mining development projects in the area. We, decide, we found that it's the, probably the best way to stimulate exploration on the territory is to give access. As for increasing access to private sector capital for mining projects, even with a minority stake of 20% or less, the direct involvement of the Quebec government in its financial leverage is a significant advantage in the search for financial partners and funding from major uh, investors. The Quebec government has put in place a $1 billion capital fund to take a stake in private mining and energy projects. It has also created another uh, resource-based fund with a budget of $500 million Canadian dollar to financially support natural resources projects at various stages of development. This financial uh, leverage is also reinforced by Quebec's very favorable economic situation that has been recognized by major international credit agencies uh, over the last years. A large portion of the uh, Quebec minerals production is taking place on the territory of the Plan Or and include uh, gold. Talking about gold, I just want to mention that we have here this morning Brian Coates, who is a good partner of us, and want to thank him for his help to get in touch with the people who are here this morning. So thank you very much, uh, Brian. Gold, iron ore, titanium, nickel, zinc, copper, cobalt, Niobium, 
diamonds, phosphate, lithium, vanadium, and rare earth element. All that is existing on the territory of the Planar. What is more recent in our mining industry is the fact that the, the operation of technological mining mines uh, is growing more and more on the territory. It allows the diversification of mining industry in the, of the province. It also offers the possibility to develop a cluster integrating the entire production chain from ore to batteries, supported by advanced expertise developed in Quebec in this sector. Now let me present you some facts and figures about mining development and activities in Quebec. Last November, the Quebec Institute of Statistics published a newsletter which, reve which reveals that for 2017, mining investment was bound to increase by 17.8% compared to 2016, representing exp expenditure totaling $3 billion Canadian dollars. The most interesting part of this trend is that investment growth come from exploration and development spending, showing 14% increase the highest since 2011. Quebec is currently the province posting the strongest industry growth in Canada, and we're very proud of it, of course. A dozen mines are currently in operation, and over 15 projects are being developed in the territory of the Plan R, including expansion of uh, projects for mines already in operation. Profitable mining projects help raise the standard of living in uh, outlying regions, but they must also respect environment and social values. These values are a guarantee of sustainability and success for all mining development projects, as well as for the communities where the projects are located. Promote social acceptability, the Quebec government has put forward guidelines, developed tools, and also set up best practices. Working with all the stakeholders on a permanent and continuous basis, especially local communities, allow us to support development projects that generate growth for the communities and ensure these projects are socially acceptable. In conclusion, the Plan R is a major socio-economic and sustainable development initiative based on a comprehensive, integrated, coherent, and responsible approach. It offers a promising and accessible vast territory that no many jurisdictions can match in the industrial world. The state involvement and investment in projects are incentive for investors. It is also reassuring for the local population and making sure they benefit more directly from natural resources production and development in the north. This is one key to get the social acceptability of the concerned population. Quebec is ranked as one of the most attractive places for mining investment by uh, the Fraser Institute. In just four years, Quebec has jumped two spots on the list, so we went from 18 to the sixth place worldwide. So we have established solid foundation and we continue to build upon them. The Plan R is a golden opportunity for mining industry, and the Société du Plan R is there to help and support mining companies and investors to do business in Quebec. Thank you for your attention, and have a good day. Thank you, Robert. Now we, we kind of see the, the outline of what's going on with Plan Nord, and let's get a lively discussion going. If I invite all the panelists for the Quebec panel up to the table here, I'll bring up uh, Editor-in-Chief John Cumming to introduce them one by one, and let's do a bit more of a deep dive for how Plan Nord is actually affecting companies on the ground. Good morning, everybody. I'm uh, John Cumming, the Editor-in-Chief of the Northern Miner. We'll continue on with the Plan Nord, specifically. Let me just introduce our panel. we got some very experienced mining fellows here, in some ways the best of Quebec junior mining, I would say. 
immediately to my right and then progressing across, we have Pascal Amelin. He's a mine engineer. He's the president and COO of Metanor Resources, their junior gold explorer and developer in the urban berry camp at the Bachelor Mill and the berry deposit. I should say, all three juniors are within the Plan Nord. So we've got the big picture with uh, Mr. Sylvain, and then we have three people who are actually involved in the area. Moving along, we have Darren Wagner. This is a Vancouver-based junior, but uh, their assets are in uh, Quebec, particularly in the Detour Lake trend. The Martiniere and Bug Lake gold zones are the most uh, active areas there. And then, of course, we have Mr. Sauvé. He's a career um, civil servant with the Quebec government uh, since 1987, including a stint as deputy minister of the uh, Natural Resources Ministry. He was appointed to a five-year term in 2015 as CEO of the Plan Nord, so he'll be around <laughs> for, a, for a while with Plan Nord. And then at the very end, we have Guy Bourassa. He's the president and CEO of Namaska Lithium. Very interesting project. If you're not familiar with it, it's a hard rock lithium, and it's uh, progressing very steadily towards production. We've got a big financing lately, so it's an interesting twist on the normal uh, gold and silver of the Abitibi. If we could <coughs> excuse me, start with Mr. Sauvé. I, I know as an Ontario citizen, governments have these big plans, and, and they have spending commitments that are beyond the mandate of the government. So when I hear about big plans of a government, I'm a little skeptical, but this is something with, with a longer life that is associated beyond the present government. Is, is that correct? Could you kind of speak to that issue? Sorry, I didn't hear the the idea that this plan, mm -hmm. even though it's so long-term, it will still be around if the present government isn't around in another year or so, is it right? Yeah, uh, I wouldn't have said that five years ago, but now we've been implementing the plan for three years. Uh, we have a lot of infrastructure established. There are a lot of projects which are being realized right now. Uh, we have a very strong support from the population living on the territory from the uh, indigenous people, from the mining companies, from all the stakeholders. All together, I think we plan this project uh, on a long-term basis. The plan goes right up to 2035. I think it would be very, very difficult to stop it now because mm -hmm. we're just on the rails and the train is going forward. Right, now. right. And maybe, Pascal, you could speak to uh, having your project within the Plan Terry. Does it make a difference? If the Plan Nord had been delimited a few hundred kilometers north of you, would, would it be different? Or? Yeah, well, um, for us, what, uh, what it, the, the first thing Plan Nord did for us is to um, put the spotlight on mining, on mining forestry, the people from the north, basically, to sell the north down to the south. That was the first thing that uh, the Société Plan Nord did. People in Montreal, Quebec City, they, they think the north is Mont Tremblant. So it's a good thing. It was it was a selling item to like that. There's people in the north. Uh, 120,000 people covers uh, uh, over 80% of the province. So uh, it's it's a good thing. Just that aspect itself. Mm -hmm. So um, in 2012, it was established, and that was the first gain. Because when, when, and it's the same thing at the federal level, people fight for, for a chunk of the budget from the, um, from the federal and provincial. Having, having the, the, the cell done down south, it helps building the north. Mm -hmm. That was the first thing we saw uh, positive for us. Right, right. And Darren, could you kind of answer the same question? Does it make a difference having your project within the Plan Nord territory? 
Yeah, absolutely. I think any, uh, especially as a as an explorer, any assistance you can get from uh, from your from your government, uh, from the First Nations, et cetera, makes a huge difference. To, and I think what people don't realize is just how vast that territory actually is. It's an it's an amazingly large area. Yes. And it's and therefore it's a it's an amazingly large challenge to to open it up and uh, you know bring forth the wealth for the for the local people and for the province. And having this kind of initiative in place mm-hmm. uh, as, as an explorer just makes it, you know, provides a level of comfort, I guess, when we're investing our dollars, that we have backing, you know, from the province. Uh, we have backing from the local communities. And uh, therefore, we can go out into that vast territory and, and try and create some wealth. Right, right. If I could just chip in a little bit of the history of Quebec, if you're not familiar with it. But, say, in the 1970s or so, you had... On both political sides, uh, and provincially, you had this desire to build Hydro-Quebec and to make Quebec stronger. So there was a massive push to build these hydro dams in northern Quebec and sell the power to New York City and have aluminum smelters. So for the last 50 years, there's been this strong desire for mega projects in the north. And if you drive along the roads in Radisson on James Bay, they're, they're heavy-duty roads built for major trucks and stuff like that. So you would have gold juniors going along these roads built for the Hydro-Quebec and would find gold deposits. And all that Eleanor was all discovered by, you know, driving down these hydroelectric roads. But uh, there's, there's a strong appetite for these mega projects in Quebec with the government and engineering firms and power firms all working together. So even though Plan Nord is relatively new, there's this culture within Quebec that, that's multi-generational. Exactly. In fact, the, the work done by Hydro-Quebec allow us to develop an expertise to access the north. The road I was talking about, uh, the 400 miles long road getting to the north, is the access to the main uh, Hydro-Quebec infrastructure up north. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it opened the territory to mining exploration. So there are several mines. Guy could talk about it, and you can talk about it as well. So it just gave access to the territory for exploration and then for the construction of new mines and new uh, new infrastructure. So we built quite a lot of dams and, and hydroelectric power station over the last decades. Now we're getting more into mining development, using all the infrastructure there, and m- making uh, the territory available for mining right, right. And Guy, exploration now, and production. Yeah, Guy, I was going to say, your, your project is the most remote of the three here, and you have a more exotic mineral, and you're using more experimental metallurgy. Like, what has it meant to you to be in the Planor area, and the, what kind of support have you found there? Well, I was going to say that the, the only word that comes to mind is credibility. We are fortunate that our project is uh, crossed by the uh, Route du Nord, from Shibugamu to the Bay James Road, James Bay Road. So we didn't need really the impact of uh, or as the assistance, financial assistance by the Plan R, but credibility, because it confirms the dedication of the Quebec government to really support development of the northern of Quebec and also mining in itself. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's very, very important for us, the Plan R, and we are obviously want to be part of it. What I was going to say, though, you, you brought the uh, attention to the 1970s, the development of the North. One important point for everybody interested in investing around the world in mining, the best place to be in the world with First Nation is in the EUHG James Bay territory, which is the covers only the west, southwest part of the Planau, 
But there's a uh, modern treaty that was adopted, which is the Northern Quebec and North, uh, James Bay Agreement, signed with the 10 Cree nations. So there's no potential land claim, re reclamation or mm -hmm. claim. And uh, that helps a lot on social acceptability and also financing your project because you have a, a clear legal pattern around there. So not only uh, did Hydro-Québec develop the access, allowing us to go and easily find new minerals and new discoveries. Mm -hmm. And I was going to say, uh, Mr. Sauvé mentioned uh, the impact of uh, CGM, the database in Quebec. That's very, very important because a project that we're going to be launching and putting in production was found in 1962. But if it had not been of CGM, when there was interest raised in the lithium space in the mid 2000 we would not have known about this it would have been to be it would have needed to be found in this case overnight we went on cgm looked for the uh, historical showings of lithium and uh, five days later we were on the ground and we were uh, walking on what's now known as uh, one of the largest and richest lithium deposit in the world mm -hmm. so if it had not been of that database well it would not be there and if it would not have been of the road developed and the infrastructures developed uh, to access the hydro dams by the, the Route du Nord, of course, we would have spent maybe 50% of the budget on helicop helicopter flying to drill. Mm -hmm. Now we're about at 500 meters from the deposit by a year-round access road. Right. So very good place to be in Quebec, northern Quebec, EUHC in particular. <laughs> I think another uh, success story of the Plan Nord was the Stornoway mine. It was kind of a little bit remote, and the Plan Nord, I believe, funded the road up to the Renard Mine. Is that correct? Or am I off there? No, no. Oh, okay. No, you're right. Uh, it, was, it was a partnership between the company, the, um, the uh, Cree Nation of uh, Mistissini, and, mm -hmm. and the company. Right, And right. the uh, Société Plan Nord. It so was so a combination of the three. So some of these investments are many hundreds of, hundreds of millions, but the government will chip in a little 30 million investment or something like that. That'll be the difference. Uh, and you could see that in Bloom Lake was reopened uh, late last year uh, with a very small investment considering the uh, major investments in the uh, Labrador trough. Yeah, we believe that infrastructure is a key uh, into the development uh, of uh, mining on the territory because Bloom Lake wouldn't have reopened without the uh, infrastructure we bought in the port of Sitzil to give access to the, uh, the infrastructure and then to be able to export their, their minerals. Uh, same thing with, uh, with the road. I mean, the, the, the road going to uh, Stornoway I mean, is planned as a road who is going to give access to more than one project. It's going to mm -hmm. give access to several projects because we know that on the, on the way and we should push uh, further north that road uh, eventually to get to the trans uh, east-west road. And that will allow to have better access in this area uh, mm -hmm. to the uh, mining, mining, mining right, sites. Right. I would like to add on uh, what Guy was mentioning about what happened uh, from the 70s and 2002 with La Paix des Braves is um, the, the structure is in place for the social acceptability with the First Nation and the local community. So you come in as, a, as a, a junior exploration company from anywhere in the world. You come in Quebec, you, you talk to the Ministry of uh, Natural Resources, you, you talk to the Société Planor, they'll give you a template. They'll tell you this is, this is, what you, this is all the steps you've got to go through. And it's very clear. It's, um, we were a junior company in 2010. 
And then we put Bachelor Lake uh, Mine and commercial production in 2013. So in three years, we got the agreement with the uh, First Nation of Waswanipi. Mm -hmm. we, we got all the permits, and it was very clear path. We, it was, you, you got to go through all the steps, of course, you know, for social acceptability. But the, the path is very clear, and it's, it's, it's uh, set rules. It's pretty, uh, it's pretty easy. Mm -hmm. And we're applying the same thing for uh, the berry deposit uh, next door. It's right. the same rules. It's very easy uh, to follow. Right, and I right. think when the, uh, you know, when the investors in the audience are, are looking, that's one of the, the clear differentiators uh, being in the province of Quebec. Those rules are very clear. They're adhered to by the government and by the companies. The First Nations relations are exceptional. And we just have to look one province over at, at the difficulties that have, uh, have occurred there without that, uh, because of lack of foresight versus the foresight that's gone on in Quebec. And then they add in the, uh, the uh, support from the government, both uh, in the uh, exploration incentives they provide to us, and then obviously from Plan Nord, which has kept our road open. Our road is, uh, that we use was slated to close. They'd stopped maintenance on it. And it's now, with some funding from Plan Nord, it's now maintained. So I think it just makes a huge difference. It helps us stretch our exploration dollars that much further. And it brings uh, projects like these two gentlemen are running through to fruition that much quicker because the path is clear, it is laid out, it's very straightforward. Right, right. And a bit of trivia, if you think of what mining company in Canada employs the most Canadians by far, it's uh, a British firm, Rio Tinto, and they have a large Quebec presence. They're, the uh, Rio Tinto Aluminum is headquartered in Montreal, and you have the titanium on the North Shore within the Plan Nord, and you have, the, of course, the Iron Ore Company of Canada in the Labrador Trough, mm -hmm. plus diamonds in the Arctic too, but I should say, just as an example of the uh, governments working together, especially compared to BC and Alberta fighting over pipelines, uh, you had the Premier of Quebec, Philippe Couillard, and the Premier of Newfoundland Labrador, Dwight Ball. It was April 12th, they got together in Quebec City and agreed to jointly uh, help promote the Labrador trough area. So Robert, maybe you could speak to that? Yeah, we've signed it. The two prime ministers signed this agreement uh, uh, two weeks ago. Uh, we've been working on that for about three months now. Uh, we just agreed to work on two aspects. The first aspect is to work together to uh, develop the uh, Labrador Trough, which is right on the border between Newfoundland, Labrador, and Quebec. So there are mines on both sides. All those mines uh, has to export their mineral through Setsil because that's the only way out. So we have to work together for transport matters. Uh, a part of the railway is on the Newfoundland-Labrador side. Uh, we, the the uh, the port is on, in the in the Quebec territory, so we decided to collaborate uh, for mining exploration to support the development of the mines there, mm -hmm. uh, for manpower, for uh, energy, for for all aspects, and it's and it's going to be much easier. That's that's a way for us to establish a good cooperation with the province. And we have also other plans concerning uh, road infrastructure and uh, access to the the eastern part of the territory as well. Mm -hmm. So we're very proud of having this right. agreement. We have also a cooperation agreement with Ontario for Northern Ontario. So we work together on different aspects on, uh, as well. Mm -hmm. Are there any, I know uh, Quebec is sort of famous for very specific tax incentives. Is there some specific tax break or funding if you're in the Plan Nord that if you're a junior? 
Yeah, I think for you know no. for us uh, for for hard dollar expenditures that we make, we basically get uh, about 28 percent of what we put in the ground back. Right. Which obviously takes the dollars we get from our investors and lets us stretch mm-hmm. them that much further. So it's a pretty exceptional program on that basis. Uh, the best one that that I'm aware of. And just helps helps us do more with the dollars that the, the precious dollars that we get into the company. Right. And uh, and uh, yeah, it's a really it's a great program for uh, for the explorer for sure. Right. And I noticed one other aspect of the Plan Nord. Ultimately, 50% of the territory will be kind of a park protected area, but it, there isn't a rush to delineate that. Right. What would be the criteria for creating parkland in the Plan Nord? We have a very important commitment in the Plan R. Uh, we wanted to have social acceptability, so right from the beginning in 2009, we worked with the communities, we worked with the environmental groups, we worked with the, all the sectors of activities, mining companies and all that, and one commitment from the Prime Minister then was to have 50% of the territory, so that means 600,000 square kilometers, half of the territory, uh, which would be uh, where they, which would be uh, a zone for protection of the environment, maintaining the biodiversity, and have non-industrial use of the territory. So that made mining companies very nervous for a while, exploration company particularly, but we're working on it now because right now the footprint of all the villages, all the mining infrastructure, the reservoir of Hydro-Québec and all the, the, uh, the, uh, the infrastructure of Hydro-Québec represents less than 6% of the territory. So we have some march for maneuver. <laughs> so, I mean, it, it, it will have to be a continuous process because we cannot decide where is going to be the park and where is going to be the mine because about uh, uh, 25% of the ter- territory has been explored yet. So there is quite a lot of knowledge to have to be able to go through all this process. So we work, again, all together. We have a committee where we have representative of the indigenous uh, communities. We have representative of the mining sector, uh, hydroelectric, the, the, the elected people living on the territory, and also the environmental groups. And we work together to establish criteria and see how we're going to make the knowledge of the territory evolve and how we're going to identify the zones where there is a mining potential, preserve mm-hmm. them, and eventually, even if we have a park and if a mine is discovered on the site in the park, I mean, we'll, try a way, we'll have a way to just compensate the territory by enlarging the park somewhere else. Mm-hmm. So there is no instruction manual for it, but we work on it all together, and that's probably the best way to get some results on that. And we have uh, all the way to 2035 to succeed in this operation. So that's not that much a constraint, but it's a way to make sure that we, are, we have in mind all the time that it's a, we want to work on, this, on a sustainable work approach and make sure that uh, we preserve the environment as much as possible. Okay, great. I think uh, we're just about out of time, so we'll have to wrap it up. Thanks very much, everybody.
that just about does it for this week's episode. Hope you enjoyed it. And uh, I'm actually recording this ahead of time because I'm on working on the holiday weekend here because I'll shortly be hopping on a plane to Istanbul. And then uh, by the time this podcast goes live, I will be uh, poking around an iron ore deposit in the central Ukraine. So that should be pretty interesting. And I'll tell you all about it when I get back. In the meantime, have a great week and talk to you later. Bye-bye.